This week is Easter week, and we, we get to celebrate kind of the most crucial Sunday events that we read about in the Bible is what we're celebrating this week. And so as I was reading scripture this week, I came to the verse in Romans 8, 35 through 39. It's going to be up on the screen, uh, not in your notes, on the screen. Um, so if you want to read this with me, I think it really just kind of shows the spirit and the mentality that we can have as we celebrate this Easter week. And it says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted? I don't know why I'm tearing up. I get so emotional sometimes. Uh, or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are all killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. That is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love which we know because of Jesus. So when we, want to, when we say that phrase, nothing can separate us from God's love, we know that because of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating this week. That's what we're celebrating on Friday at our Good Friday service, is that Jesus sacrificed himself because he loved us. That Jesus said, nothing's going to separate you from me. Nothing's going to separate you from my love for you that I'm willing to die on a cross. And so then the cool part is then next Sunday is we get to celebrate his resurrection. And so that's what we're, we're doing here at Open Life this week is we're celebrating that. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is really this like Jesus' way that he lived his life. He's saying nothing's going to separate me from you. My love for you, nothing is going to separate that. As far as it is on me, Jesus says I'm going to be with people. I'm going to love people no matter what they might be going through. And so if we're really going to take what we read in Scripture seriously, and if we're going to look at these stories of Jesus seriously, and we're going to listen to the stories that Jesus told us seriously, then this week should be of huge importance to us. This should be the week where we dwell more on the Scriptures, where we pray more and just thank God for what He has done for us. This is the week that we... In my prayer times, I'm going to be thankful for Jesus coming and dying on the cross for me every single day. That's what I'm going to start with. God, thank you. I'm going to marvel at the life that Jesus lived, and I'm going to give thanks for his sacrifice and resurrection, for the fact that God loves and values us so much that he sent Jesus. And so that's what we hit on last week, is that you are valuable. And so we're going to read a, sh- a story that goes along the same line of the stories that we read last week. But to recap, the two stories that we read about in Luke 15 last week, um, the first one was about a man who has 100 sheep, one goes missing, and so he leaves the 99 to find the one until he finds the one that was missing. He gathers his friends and neighbors to celebrate finding what was lost. And so then the second story that we read is that a woman has 10 silver coins, but she loses one. 
So what does she do? She flips her house upside down until she finds the lost coin. And so we also hear her that she gathers her friends and neighbors to celebrate finding what was lost. And so these are the similar themes in that in these stories are first that something is lost, two, there's a search for what is lost until it is found, three, there's a party when what was lost is found, and four, both times Jesus ends with this phrase. He says, in the same way, there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. So that's the kind of makeup of the stories that Jesus is saying in Luke 15. And so when we jump into the scripture today, that's the context of what we're reading. Those are the two stories directly before the story that we're reading today in Luke 15, 11 through 32. So this is a big chunk of scripture. And so it's going to be, it's kind of in the same Like, as the parable that we've read at the beginning of the year about the Good Samaritan, this is kind of in that same vein of a story that Jesus is telling to explain a point. And so when we jump into Luke 15, 11 through 32, the first sentence says this, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And so the whole point that Jesus is saying starts back at the beginning of Luke 15, is this is what, how the... The story of Luke 15 starts, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the, li- the religious law were complaining because Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And then it says this, he was even eating with them. And so that's like, in response, that's why Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. That's why he tells the story of the lost coin. And so we jump into the story, that, the next story that Jesus says. And it says this, to illustrate the point further, Jesus tells them this story. And so let's read it together. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the, his field, excuse me, to fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked, pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called, of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you, or both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is my favorite part. So the party began. <laughs> and it was like, that's funny. It's like, it like, we have to tell you. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. 
Your brother is back, he was told, and your, fa- your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time, you have never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So today the big idea is that God will let you go your own way. Jesus tells us this story about the two brothers in two different ways of living. Two different ways of going in a direction. And so we can choose to go our own way as well, and we can choose to live according to God's way. One, one brother chose to take his inheritance and just say, you know what, I, from now on I'm going exactly the way that I want to go. I'm going to live my life the way I want to, while the other brother stayed home and lived with the father. And so this is our decision that we get to make as well in our own lives. We get to choose to go our own way. So let me just say that the best way to work out this, if we're going to go our own way, the best way to do that is to come in line with the way of Jesus. The more and more that we can bring our lives in close proximity to a relationship with Jesus, the better that life will work out. The more that I am able to come before Jesus and say, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to run every decision. I want to run every thought process through a framework of a way that you lived your life and the way that you encountered people, the decision that you made. I want to live my life as close to humanly possible as I can to the way that Jesus lived. That's just going to work out better. And so we read in Psalm 21 too, it says this, For you have given him his heart's desire. You have withheld nothing he requested. God will give us the desires of our heart. The question is, will we line our desires with God's heart? Will we choose to say, you know what? I want my desires to be your desires, God. I want to live my life the way that you lived your life, Jesus. And I find that what I am first inclined to do is oftentimes not the way that Jesus had intended it. You know, I think about money, and I think about the story that Jesus is telling, is that the younger son took his inheritance and just squandered it. And I think that's a big issue for a lot of us. It's like, okay, how am I going to, okay, I want to be successful. How do I do that? I need to get more money. And so then we begin to spend our money on different things, and so then it's like, well, I need more. And so there's this constant, constant need that we need always need more, always need more money. And so then I think what is cool, in a very practical way, our finances where we can see God saying, if you just come to me and if you listen to my principles and if you walk with the way that I lived my life, I'll take care of you. God will give you the desires of our heart, but are our hearts inclined to be close to the desires that God has? So the brother got his inheritance. He squandered it on wild living got to a point where he hired himself as a servant for another person, and got to the point where he was starving, to where even the food of pigs looked appealing to him. It's like, I want what they're having. That's gross. 
But Jesus is saying this guy is at the lowest of lows. He's hit the rock bottom. And what's cool is what I love that it says is that finally he comes to his senses. And so as you study and read commentaries, they say that this expression, comes to his senses, is also a, like a Hebrew and Aramaic term for like, this is his act of repentance. It's like, I've come to my senses. I'm going to turn from the way I was going. I'm going to turn back. And so if we're talking spiritually, I'm going to turn from where I'm going. I'm going to turn back towards Jesus. But for Jesus telling this story, he's saying, the son said, I'm going to turn away from where I'm going. I'm going to turn back towards my father. I'm going to go back. And so he decides to confess what he has done. All this is in his head. He's coming to his senses, and he's saying, I'm going to confess what I've done. I'm even going to denounce the right I have as being a son of my father. And then I'm going to ask to be his servant. I'm going to ask to basically become a hired servant, almost like a slave to my father's family, because even they would get fed. Even they would be taken care of. And so the son makes his way back to his father, and the cool thing is that the father saw him coming. And that leads us to thought one today, is that God is waiting for you. And so this isn't like God is waiting for you, like the way I wait for my coffee at Starbucks, where I'm just like, go through the line, and then you're just sitting there, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go on Twitter, or I'm going to look, you know, where you just kind of like multitask. Okay, what can I get onto my task while I wait for my coffee, coffee to be delivered to me? No, this, co- this waiting that God is doing is deeply woven together with this looking aspect, this searching aspect, this yearning for his son to return. It's all intertwined, and it has to do with God's love and the way that Jesus searched for people. From what we know about God's love and the way that Jesus interacted with other people, we can know that the type of waiting that God does for us is basically one step short of God just forcing us to love him. Where God's like, I'm going to go 99.9% of the way to show you my love, but you have to make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to return. Or as we said last week, I'm going to be found. And so that's the decision that we have to make, is that God loves everyone, but have we chosen to take a step towards Jesus the son took a step toward back to God, and God saw him far away. The father saw him far away and ran to him, kissed him, hugged him. Didn't even have to hear his apology yet. And that's the love that God has for us. God is just waiting for us. So who are you waiting for? If you've been found, if you've chosen to return to God, if you've taken that step to follow Jesus, we're now in this waiting game where we too can look at other people and be part of that waiting and longing and searching for people. I remember growing up, I was like an eight-year-old kid, and every Wednesday I went to church to this little this kid's night, and I was in like the Christian Boy Scouts, which I always thought Boy Scouts were like a Christian organization. But my church decided to have Royal Rangers, which is like a next step of like craziness. And so, but each time we would end the night with prayer requests. And I just remember this one kid, he would always pray that his dad would, we always called it, accept Jesus into his heart. Because he knew that he wasn't, you know, his dad never came to church, wasn't involved with that kind of stuff. And so week after week, 
this kid would say, I just want to pray for my dad to accept Jesus into his heart. I want to pray for dad to accept Jesus into his heart. This kid was waiting, searching, longing for his dad to return to Jesus. And the cool thing is, is that when it happens, like there's a party, like there's a celebration, like, like a cool moment is when those kids, those nine, eight, nine, and 10 year olds can come there and say, that's awesome. Your dad finally accepted Jesus into his heart. And so like, I just like, I always remember that, that like one specific story. But it's like, who are we waiting for? The father was waiting and searching. The older brother who had been there all along, he was working in the fields. He was just doing his thing. But the father was waiting. He was searching. He was looking a long way off to try and find his son. So thought number two is that you can always return. There's no time limit for when someone can return to God, like, oh, well, it's been 10 years. You can't, you can't come back to God anymore. Or there's no sin limit. You can't go too far down a sin rabbit trail and then say, well, you've gone too far. God's love just does not cover that. But sometimes I think we think that. Even before we've chosen to follow Jesus, we're like, man, God would not even accept me if he knew the things that I've done in my life. He knows the things you've done in his life, but yet he chooses to still go that 99.999% when all you have to do is turn and say, God, I want to return to you. I want to be found. There's no barrier man-made or otherwise that we can come up to think, well, these people... They just, they'll, they'll never get it. Like those people, the God's love is not for them. And so anything that comes into our mind where we have to put limits on how much God loves people or limits on how much his love can transform someone, that's when we have to look back on ourselves and say, have I truly understood the love of Jesus for my life? For any that have made the decision to ruin, there's nothing that can separate them from the love of God. There's nothing that we can do that will separate us. That's where we come back to that first verse we read, is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Who are you encouraging to return to Jesus? We encourage people to return to Jesus by living with grace and truth. If we shortchange either of those things, if we don't live in grace, and we also don't live with the truth that we know from Scripture and prayer and being in time and like relationship with Jesus, if we don't live with grace and truth equally, then the other becomes a burden. If we only bring truth, then grace will not be accepted because you've burnt a, br- burnt a bridge. If we only bring grace, then people are going to reject truth because grace, you can take grace a long ways and you can make it cheap and you can stomp on it and say, well, no matter what I do, God's just going to love me, so I'm, in no way am I ever going to actually turn from my sin. In no way am I ever going to have true repentance. But grace is when we choose to repent and turn back to God and He forgives us. And truth is the life that we get to live in after that. The younger son said, I'm going to return to my father. And then he said, he made three other conscious decisions. He said, I'm going to confess to my father what I've done. 
And then I'm going to say I'm not worthy to be called his son anymore. And then he says, I'm going to become a hired servant. I'm going to become like a slave to my father. Those are the three steps that I'm going to do. And so he kind of assumes the worst. That he's saying, you know what? My father is not going to accept me. He's not going to like turn to me and say, I love you, son. Thank you for coming back. Like I'm so excited. He probably doesn't think that there's going to be this huge party and celebration for his return. So he says, you know what? I'm going to confess I'm going to say, I'm not, I'm not any longer allowed to be called your son, and I'm going to hire myself as your servant. I'm going to become your slave. And so what's cool in thought three is this, don't assume the worst. We can't assume the worst about God. And so many times, especially when confession is involved, we assume the worst, and that God's grace is only going to go so far. Like we think like, Man, if I bring this to God, if I, you know, repent and I confess this to God, man, he is just going to slam me. We think that sometimes. Like, I'm just going to get pounded to the ground by this truth because I know I've sinned. But what we can know about God and what we can know through the life of Jesus is that if we repent, he is kind and gracious to forgive us. The son thought he had to become a servant or a slave to be accepted by his father. Sometimes we think, depending on what we're struggling with, it means the life with God becomes a life of burdens. But that's where in Romans 2.4 it says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The kindness that God has for us, the kindness that Jesus exemplified, is to turn people from their sin. That's the common response that we get with Jesus. Is like, like that love and that grace and forgiveness, that kindness turns us. And it's like, of course I want to turn from that stuff. The father listened to his son's confession in this story. He understood why he thought that he could no longer be called his son anymore. But then he just stops him. Before the son can even mention the part, the fact that, like, I'm going to become a slave of you now, the father's like, no, 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 no. We're partying. We're going to, like, get that fattened calf, kill it. We're eating that tonight, and we're celebrating that you have come home, that I thought you were dead, but you are alive. You were lost, but now you're found, and we are going to party tonight. And I can't think of anything more, like, awesome and thinking about the love and graciousness of God. Is he, and, like, Jesus said it multiple times last week in the verses that we read. It's like when even one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. And how come we don't do that more often? How come we don't celebrate more often when our friends, our loved ones, our family members, our coworkers, whoever we're in relationships, come to find Jesus? How come we don't party more? How come we don't get excited for those things? Do you find yourself assuming the worst for people, making their no answer for them? But do we show love to people? Are, do we even think that that grace and that kindness can lead them from their sin, can lead them back to return to Jesus? And so, whether we have been found or if we're still in that processing moment where we're still deciding if we want to truly follow Jesus and live the way that he lives, um, I think what really gets us 
becomes a stumbling block for us is when there's people with the older brother mentality in our lives that kind of discourage us from that. And so what did the older brother do? He focused on work over searching for his brother. He focused on the work. He focused, he's like, I'm not searching for my brother. I want my inheritance. I'm working for my inheritance. He's like, I'm not going to let those things distract me, and I'm just going to do the work. No matter who I plow through, no matter who is on the sides, I'm going to focus on the work. While the father was like waiting, searching, longing for his younger son. The older brothers think that the party should be for them. We read this story, and Jesus, Jesus, the cool thing about this story is like we know Jesus has intention for everything he's saying because Jesus is telling this story. He's, there's a reason that he puts in certain details in this story. And so we find out that the brother comes back, and he's like, what is going on here? And it's like, have you ever seen more of a party pooper? He comes in, and he's like, wait, is there fun going on around here? Is our people celebrating, and I'm not a part of this? And so then he immediately gets angry the minute he finds out, oh, this is for my stupid, idiot, younger brother. And he doesn't even go in. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop. I'm the body pooper. That's just totally, I don't know, I just thought of that. So I, I think God told me to say it to you. <laughs> so, but like that's what this older brother's doing. Like I am the party pooper. So he doesn't even go in. Older brothers assume attention for the younger son means neglect, neglect for themselves. Older brothers think, and just to be clear, older brothers in this story. I'm an older brother, and I don't think like this. So this is the older brother in the story. But they think that because there's a party for the one who has returned, that means that I'm going to be neglected. And finally, older brothers see a life lived with a father as slavery. The older brother said it to his own father. He says, I've slayed for you. I've done everything you said. Now the minute my younger son comes, you celebrate him, but I'm over here. And the father's like, I've given you everything. I've given you everything in my possessions. And so sometimes I think there's that mentality for people that have been Christians for a long time. And when someone can just come at the end of their life and say, you know what? I realize the errors of my ways in my life, I'm going to make a step and a decision to follow Jesus. I think sometimes there's a temptation not to celebrate that, but to say, you should have been doing this your whole life. You should have accepted Christ when you were 20 instead of waiting until you're 60 when I've been here my whole life following Jesus. And if there's a mentality in that inside of you, that is, there's nothing more clear of a Pharisee than that, where you would say, like someone making a decision to follow Jesus is not something to celebrate. And so that's the older brother's mentality. is like, I've been doing this for so long. I've been slaving. I've been toiling. I've been doing the work, but there's been no party for me. The younger son knew the love of his father and said to himself, I'm willing to become a hired servant. I'm willing to become a slave to my father. While the older son saw the love of his father for his younger brother and said, all these years I've been with you, this has been slavery. And so as you get these two different situations in life where one's dying to be back with the Father and the other one's like, this, my time with you has been a mess. I'm so sick of this. 
And so that's the decision that we have to make. And so thought number four is God restores the broken. And I want to talk about it in three different ways, this last thought. The first is that, think of this statement, God restores the broken as fact. Because some people, I think, need to know that. Is that if you are broken today, you need to know that God can restore you. That no matter what you've gone through, God can restore you from your sins. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God. Like this is David's plea from the book of Psalms. He's saying, I have sinned, but I know that if I have a broken and contrite heart, you will not reject me. So some of you need to know just as fact that God restores the broken. And so then the second way I want you to think about this last thought is that only God restores the broken. Only God restores the broken. I don't do it. You don't do it. No pastor or spiritual leader can restore the broken. It's not like they are the ones with the power. It is all Jesus. So if you're broken today, no amount of good works or things that you think you have to do before you can come and follow Jesus, there's nothing you can do that other than just saying, I choose to be found. I choose to no longer be lost. Remember, God's come 99.999% of the way, and all you have to do is turn. And he's waiting there for you to jump on you and hug you and kiss you just like the Father. And so some of you are like, that's gross. I don't, I don't need God to you know, hug and kiss me. But it's true. That feeling in your spirit that says, I am found. I am wanted. I've been searched for. I've been sought after. And so do you try to fix people? That's kind of the question that we wanted to ask. You know, back in our marriage series, we talked about this idea of putting a circle around yourself and basically deciding, I'm, I'm in charge of what's inside of this circle. I can't affect other people's circles. I can't force people to love God. I can't force people. I can't be the one who brings the healing. Only their relationship with Christ can do that. And so what's inside of your circle? Have you chosen, like the son, to say, you know what, I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to repent and turn from those things. All of that is like this relationship in my circle with Jesus. Have I chosen to do my own worrying about who is in my circle? Don't be someone that worries about other people's circles, but, don't, but doesn't do anything about what's inside of your own. That's like the theme of Jesus' teaching. It's like, just figure it out. And so finally, the third way about this last thought, God restores the broken, so deal with it. And that's for those of us who might get mad when there's a party for someone who when we think we deserve the party. This is like speaking to the older brother mentality. It's going to be messy when people come to follow Jesus. It's going to involve sinners. And it's going to be a party. So if we just look at the language of the entire Luke 15 that we've read last week and this week, there's just these common phrases that keep coming up about celebration and being happy. Multiple times, we have to celebrate, is what the Father said. We are celebrating. We had to celebrate in his explanation to the older son. He's like, we had to celebrate. This is not a choice or a decision. It's like, we have to do this. 
Aren't you excited that we serve a God that when we choose to follow Jesus, he says, we have to celebrate about this. We have to get excited. He, multiple times in the verses we read last week, he says, rejoice with me. He talks about the angels in heaven rejoicing because one sinner chose to repent. Multiple times, the Father and Jesus last week, he says, he was lost, but now he is found. What was lost is now is found. Come celebrate in thee because what was lost has been, shout, has been found. Whether it's the sheep, whether it's the lost coin, whether it's the lost son, what was lost has been found. And finally, what was dead has come back to life. All of those are moments of celebration. All of those are things to celebrate, to get excited about, and things that we can strike down that older brother mentality inside of our minds. A life with Jesus is not something that we have to keep from sinners. It's not a life of keeping a list of things that we have to do or things that we never do. It's, and it's never admitting when we actually mess up and fail. Life with Jesus is never being separated from his love, even if we are walking through the deepest, darkest trials of our lives, going over a mountain or going through a valley in our life, we get to know that God, nothing can separate us from God's love. And so today the action point is very simple. It's return and invite those who need to return. What better week to return to God than this Easter week? What better week to jump into scriptures and to read the different accounts of Jesus sacrificing himself because he loved us and saying, you know what, I want to respond to that. Because in that act of Jesus going to the cross, that's the act of the Father jumping up, searching a long way out and saying, I'm going to find, I'm going to search, I'm going to look for my lost son until he comes. The act of Jesus on the cross is saying, I'm going to jump, I'm going to hug your neck, I'm going to rest with you because I'm so excited that you've come back, that you've chosen to be found. And so then, so if you've never made that decision to return, that's a decision to make today. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus and we've chosen to be found, we've chosen to return like all these stories I've talked about, let's jump back to the beginning of the verse of Luke 15 that we read last year, last week. Jesus told these three stories in response to a group of Pharisees and religious leaders who were complaining that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so we get the opportunity this week to invite people. We get to invite people to Sure, we get to invite people to church next week, but we get this invitation to walk and live and love with other people because we have chosen to be found. So God sends us into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, which we've been talking about this whole year. But he's put you for a unique situation to just love people, to be in a relationship with people, and just to say, man... I just want to walk through this with you. Like, I'm really sorry to hear about your mom or I'm really sorry to hear about your son or really sorry to hear about this where we can have empathy and sympathy for people and know that they are loved, that they are being searched for, that there is someone who values them because 
God values us, we can value others. It's an invitation to return if we need to, to turn from our sin, to repent, to invite others with an emphasis on waiting and searching and longing for others to come to know Jesus. And finally, it's an invitation to celebrate. My favorite part of that verse. So the party started. And that's exciting to me, is that we get the opportunity to start a party next week at Open Life. Wouldn't it be cool if 5, 10, 20 people came to Open Life next Sunday for Easter, chose to follow Jesus, and we get to say, all right, let's party. Let's figure out some way to celebrate this. Let's figure out something to do to celebrate because that's what happens. Jesus is like, this is a party. That's why he hung out with sinners because he knew that there was partying in heaven and Jesus just wants to please his father. So let's pray today. God, thank you for your searching, for your longing, for your loving aspects so that we can know that nothing can ever separate us from the love that you have for us. God, today, if there's people in this room that still haven't decided to return, to be found, to follow you, I pray, Lord, that today this would be the day that there would be celebrating and partying happening happening even after service today. God, but for the rest of us, I pray, Lord, that we would be people of invitation, that we would be people of hospitality, that we would be people of love in the same way that you love us, that we would be people that don't look as sinners as sinners, but we look as sinners as people that still haven't been found. That we would be people of searching, of longing, of yearning for other people, more and more people to come into the fold to know about this life with Jesus. God, whatever, wherever we're at, God, meet us there, but send us out. God, this week as we dwell on your sacrifice, we thank you. As we dwell on Friday in our Good Friday service, I pray it would be a time of communion with you as we take the elements and go through that action, that symbolic action of your sacrifice. God, I pray, Lord, that we would there would be genuine life change. And that next Sunday in our Easter service, God, more and more people would come to know you. God, that's our prayer. That's our desire. That's our longing. We thank you for what you've done for us. Now let's go out and love others. So we ask all this in your name. Amen.